Welcome to the Autism News Network podcast. My name is Dr. Frampton Gwinnett. You can follow me at Dr. Gwinnett on Twitter and Instagram. Also, please check us out on theautismnewsnetwork.com for all kinds of great content. We are joined today by two very special guests. We're going to learn about social motion skills from Houston, Texas. We have the executive director of social motion skills, Wendy Dawson. Hi, Wendy. Good morning, Frampton. Nice to see you, Dr. Gwinnett. Nice to see you. And we also have the Education Director for Social Motion Skills, Ms. Brandy Timmons. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this is a very successful and meaningful program for um, individuals with autism across the lifespan. So we're excited to learn so much about it. And um, leading the charge today, in terms of our interview, is an Autism News Network participant named Josh Miller. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. All right. And um, without further ado, I'm going to let Josh take it away with our first questions for our guests. All right. Thank you, Dr. Gwinnett. Good morning, Ms. Dawson, um, Ms. Timmons. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Josh. I guess um, I'm, my first question would be for y'all would be, um, what is y'all's history or um, personal experience with autism? Well, my experience is very close. My now 24 year old stepson was diagnosed with autism when he was two and he came into my life when he was about four years old. So his dad and I really didn't have any prior experience with autism. This was 20 plus years ago and the communities and the research and the therapies and the information in, in communities in the medical world have really grown a lot since then. So um, we have embraced this child and his life intermingled with our lives is a huge reason why we started Social Motion. All right. And what about you, Ms. Timmons? I mean, what is um, your history or personal experience with autism? Well, I am a special education teacher. So I started working with um, individuals with autism about about 17 years ago. And um, when I started teaching in a self-contained classroom, I fell in love with the kiddos on the spectrum and realized, you know, what potential they had. And the more I taught, I came to find out about um, applied behavior analysis and how those strategies work. And so about six years ago, I went back and became a board certified behavior analyst, now a licensed behavior analyst. And after I moved to Houston, um, met a friend who knew Wendy, knew social motion, and three years ago, um, went to work there as education director. That is really awesome. Now, for um, viewers and listeners who may not already know, can you explain to them what is um, social motion, Miss Dawson, and what do y'all do, and where are y'all located? Absolutely. Um, it's exciting to think how many people – um, outside of Houston, outside of Texas, we'll watch this podcast today. So we are a local nonprofit based in Houston, Texas. We have an approximately 8,000 square foot center where we run um, social skills classes, assessments, and a training program for individuals with autism and similar special needs for ages 4 to 54. We are a community resource, so we actually offer after-school social skills classes for school-age children 
um, a full day program for individuals with autism over 18. And a big part of our program is also community outreach, um, advocacy, and parent training. So our mission at Social Motion, just to kind of sum it up, is to inspire and empower individuals with autism and similar special needs to achieve their full potential. So I hope that's what we're doing. That is really awesome. And I feel like we need more of that in this country, you know, more support for the autistic community. What led you to start um, Social Motion? Social Motion was created out of need, really, need for my family and need for so many families like ours that we knew in the community. When my son, my stepson, was in about sixth grade, we really realized how he was diverging from his peers in terms of um, activities in daily living, interactions with peers, understanding social norms. He wasn't really joining teams, um, participating in kind of that active teenage life. And so after thinking about his diagnosis, we had participated in all the therapies. We'd done PT, we'd done OT, we'd done speech. And what he really needed was some social skill training. So trying to be a good mom, I looked around the city in search of social skills classes, social skills tutoring. Where could I find the type of instruction that he needed with his diagnosis and to help launch him in life? And I couldn't find it. And it's because it didn't exist. So luckily, um, going back to that very personal answer, that is why we created Social Motion, was to bring these types of classes to the community as a supplement and a complement to special schools and special therapy programs that are out there. So definitely out of need um, for our own family and hoping that um, now we'll, we will be a window to the world and we'll have left a legacy of service for all those who follow us. I mean, I'm sorry if the question was too personal um not at all we're we're always happy to share our story because we know it helps so many more how long ago have y'all started um social motion we're actually celebrating our 10th anniversary this year and josh to answer your question you know it was kind of like jumping off the deep end so yeah. i had this idea in my head of what i needed but i am not the special educator i am actually a banker by background and so my first step was to find a brilliant education director who could bring all of the talents that I didn't have to our program um, and so Brandy really exemplifies that so the first step was basically to start small we started with one um, classroom in a local church we had six kids in that class it was at the tween early teen level um, and you know, we tested out our curriculum. We kind of knew what we wanted to teach. Um, we started with communication, with self-awareness, with self-esteem, with perspective taking, with having the kids understand, um, personal responsibility. Basically, you know, you just got to start somewhere and that's what we did. 
That is really cool. And I know that Dr. Gwinnett was telling me um, a few days ago that y'all uh, y'all recently partnered with FedEx. So um, can you tell us more about, you know, that big step? Absolutely. So our kids grow up, right? Right. Started this program. We had six kids in the tween, young teen age level. And then before you know it, they are graduating high school and trying to figure <laughs> out what's next. So a lot of our kids um, aren't necessarily ready for college. You know, the four-year degree is not what they need. However, they constantly need continual training and they really need a path forward in life. So one of the biggest hurdles that we try to serve is what will happen to my child when I am no longer here to care for them. And such an important piece of that question is how are they going to make a living? How are they going to provide for themselves? How are they going to hopefully achieve as much independence as possible? Where are they going to work? I mean, the, the pride of having a job and feeling meaningful in the community we have found is of such importance to help these young adults avoid the spiral of depression and failure and um, lack of connectivity to the community. So we're fortunate here in Houston that we have many large employers and we had a friend who worked at FedEx and so um, we started talking to them because we felt like their package handling jobs were the type of work and the place that we could really have an impact. So kind of an employment pathway program was created and now we actually place groups of young adults at the FedEx location, FedEx ground location with the dedicated job coach. Um, the job coach stays with them for approximately 12 weeks and has really proven that with training and support, these individuals can be successful. That is really cool. And I feel like, you know, like I said, you know, before, you know, I feel like that that's something that really needs to be, you know, expanded on in other communities, you know, by, you know, by other um, groups, because I feel like there's a lot of, I mean, personally, I feel like there's a lot of autistic people who, who that are getting left behind and could really, you know, not living up to their full potential, as I'm sure Dr. Gwinnett would agree with me. We have talked to FedEx. Um, we've kind of proven our theory here, and there are several other locations that are interested in kind of our tutelage and understanding what we've done here. So um, to your point of more communities needing these services, um, we're working on the best way to continue those relationships. Randy, why don't you tell them um, the metrics and some of the ways that we know what we're doing is working. So when I joined um, Social Motion three years ago, of course, as a VCBA, data is my, is my thing. I like to know um, all the data behind everything that we do and whether or not you know, what we say we do, are we actually doing that? And so um, worked to really put some um, data collection methods around all of our social skills programs and um, now also around some of our um, transition 
So one of the things that we found with transition age kids, a lot of the time they don't have any experience with um, work activities. So a lot of our kids have missed out on, you know, um, they don't, they don't mow yards during the summer. They don't work the snow cone stands or babysit. So they've missed out on those really basic um, just job experiences that a lot of typical peers um, have. Um, many, many different reasons. Um, so they don't get to really experiment and try to figure out what they like to do and what they're interested in. And so um, I happen to work with a program for many years in the public school systems that was a hands-on um, vocational assessment. And so we had the opportunity in December um, through a large grant through the MD Anderson Foundation um, to actually add 1,600 square feet to our um, existing facilities to buy the assessment kit and to create what we now call the Transition and Employability Center. So now our um, 13 plus young adults can come in and they can work through this hands-on assessment. They get to um, try different jobs in five different areas, computer, um, business marketing, consumer servicing, consumer service, construction, industrial. And they get to tell us and give us data on, do I like do doing that job? Is that something I'm interested in? Is it something I'm good at? And then when they finish with the assessment, they walk out with a report that they can either hand to an employer or they can take to um, the Workforce Commission or they can even take back to their high school for transition planning and say, these are the skills that I have right now and this is where I'd like to be when I graduate. So what do I need to do to get there? So we're really excited. We have our first group of kids this summer that are working through the program. We have our first young adult that um, just finished and got her report back. So um, a lot of really good data, but a lot of very useful data for our kids and our families. That is really exciting to hear. Y'all are located in the Houston area. I mean, how are y'all expanding beyond that area? We have found that it's really hard just to go out to kind of a random community and start a program. Yeah. Frankly, it is really hard to do what we do. It is really hard to run a nonprofit. In today's age and time, it's really hard to raise the amount of funds that we need to support this program. So we've had a lot better luck working through collaborative partners. For example, we have a strong partnership with Texas Children's Hospital here in Houston. So TCH, as they're known, obviously has many locations around the city. And so by partnering with them and looking to have our center kind of as corporate headquarters, but then offering our social skills classes at their site on their campus at their clinical facility has given us a way to operate a very strong satellite system. So Dr. Gwinnett knows about this too. So rather than really trying to be too broad and too wide, um, we're really sticking to working with um, uh, near and dear partners who understand what we're trying to do, where children who have been diagnosed are already coming, where there are clinicians and therapists and educators who are working with the same types of children that we are so that we can kind of embed our program in existing programs. That's understandable. Um, Brilliant, what it is. 
<laughs> I figured it out. <laughs> it didn't start out that way, but. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of hard work. I, I, I'm so glad that you said that because, you know, some of the qualities that I see in, in Wendy Dawson and Brandy Timmons are not only the incredible talent and the entrepreneurship, the business background, the BCBA background, but also the passion and, and also y'all never quit. You never give up and you just keep going forward. It's so, it's so amazing. It's very inspiring. Oh, thank it you. really is. It's a labor of love and we love what we do and we have fun every day and nothing fills our hearts more than seeing the smiles on these kids' faces and hearing their success stories and even working through the hard times with families. I mean, obviously, in the population we deal with, um, there are difficult times, but um, establishing relationships with the families and understanding where they're coming from and helping them get to that end goal is it's just why, why we do what we do every day. How important would you say that social media is for the growth of um – the growth of your um, nonprofit? It's, it's highly important. It is the way that we reach families today. And frankly, it's a very economical way to reach families. And print materials are hugely costly and they tend to you know, like once you print them, they have a date on them or that program name changes or something changes about it and then they become obsolete. So in today's world, social media um, is the way that we like to communicate with our families. It's finding our voice. It's finding our audience. It's understanding how do we communicate with the families who need our services. And we do a lot on Facebook because our typical <laughs> audience is moms. Um, we typically reach out to the families and it's the moms who are out there looking for information. Um, and we kind of know the age range, probably late twenties to fifties. And so that is the prime audience that we hit on Facebook. We also have some private groups on Facebook that we run to um, encourage chats and communication between like-minded parents. Instagram has really taken over. Um, we love posting those pictures of what our kids are actually doing. So social media is huge. We are very active. Brandy particularly, um, maybe you can speak to this, the mommy boards, we call mm -hmm. them. Where are the moms talking about what they need? Where are the local mom support groups? We're active on that. We actually have a summer intern who is making videos for us so that we can boost up our YouTube channel. But that social media presence has been huge for us. I think it's important to note as well in the autism community, you know, parents are now are well versed enough to be looking for um, evidence based practices. They know that word. And basically what that means is they're looking for something that works because there are so many things out there that are thrown at them. And so they go to social media to talk to each other. So that's why the mommy groups are so important. That's why the Facebook groups are so important because they're out there and they're talking about, you know, my child went to this program and this is what happened. 
or my child did this and this is what happened or the opposite of that. My child went here and this is not good. <laughs> so it's really important for us to have a presence there and um, to really have our parents um, talking about the experience that they've had at Social Motion. I think it's interesting too, Brandy is very plugged into the community where the young adults on the spectrum actually talk themselves. Tell them a little bit about your thoughts and what you find on those um, boards, Brandy. Yeah, there's a lot of um, young adults. Um, it's very interesting for me um, that 20, 25 age range um, of kiddos that are able to talk about their, their emotions and their feelings and their experiences as young adults on the spectrum. And so there's a lot of social media out there where they have um, their groups that they get on and they talk about what they want and what they need. So it's important to me to follow those groups. And, you know, we try to be real careful about providing to our, to our kiddos on the spectrum what they are asking for. Um, there's nobody that can tell us better than they can what they need to help them be successful. So it's really important to us to, um, to, to understand and to know and to ask. We try to survey our kids and our young adults at Social Motion often as well. You know, what do they like about the program? What could we improve? Um, you know, what could we do differently? What do they want? Um, and what's going to help them and give them the most support? So giving them a voice in our program. So our favorite slogan is not about us without us. And so we actually have um, a young adult kind of little um, committee council of these, these young adults who are able to express themselves and it helps us so much to understand what would have been beneficial for you in elementary school, in middle school. Um, we don't know. We can't possibly imagine what it's like to live their life. So for them to be able to express those memories and those feelings and those concerns and um, help us understand what will help them going forward is a big driving factor in how we continually strive to improve our program. What advice would you give to parents who feel like their grown child or grown or full grown child is um, struggling to become independent? Don't give up. Don't stop. Um, you know, we work on independence from day one. As soon as someone steps foot in our, um, in our program, whether they're four or they're 54, um, we have an amazing story right now of um, a man that's working with one of our um, teachers, and he is 54. And in the last, what, three months, parents have just raved about the progress that he's made. So it's, you know, you don't stop learning. You don't stop growing. You don't stop improving. So it doesn't matter where they are. They can still learn, and they can become independent. So I think to me, that would probably be the biggest thing to tell them. We actually have kind of one of our seminars that we do, and it's called Independence as a Process, because just like Brandy said, it's not something that you learn overnight. And even as educators, it is impossible for us to teach every scenario that these kids are going to encounter in their life. So, you know, we really like to focus on coping and problem solving. And we know as the educators that it's quite often the behavior that is the barrier to their success, not necessarily the skills that they have or don't have. We can teach the skills all day long, but they're really going to have to 
grow and mature and accept these behaviors and accept the coaching that we provide. And um, the, the flip side of why we've also been successful in the program is that it's not just a one side coin, right? We could train our kids all day long. They're all dressed up and know where to go. So we also work with the employers and the community to help these understand yeah. these kids are not liabilities. A lot of people think, oh, it takes longer to train them or um, they're going to be, you know, a liability or a safety hazard. They're not going to understand or they're going to cause, you know, consternation in my working place. And frankly, that's not true. We see these kids as assets because they are like, you know, they might diamonds that need to be polished, but we can help them understand workplace um, behaviors. And we actually teach class on that too, social skills for the workplace um, so that they can be loyal employees, that they um, master the tasks at hand. And when the employers are able to embrace these individuals and show the community that they understand diversity and inclusion and they employ kids on the spectrum, um, families want to do business with these these companies. So it's really a nice 360 of leading from independence from early ages, having them do chores, having them understand that they are part of the operation of the family, that they can take responsibility up to the extent possible with their skills. Yeah, just creating a climate of high expectations. You know, our kids, um, that was what I fell in love with, you know, when I first started education. So many of our kids have so much potential with just the right support, it's going to come out. And so you set the expectations high and they're going to rise to meet them regardless. So, um, you know, whether it's accommodating a little here or there or teaching the social skills to be successful in the workplace, you know, um, there's so many things that our kids are capable of doing and parents, it's important for parents to believe that. And it's important. That's one reason why we do so much parent training, especially with our younger kids. Um, you know, the school system doesn't always support to the highest expectations. So parents need to stand up for their kids and expect that from everyone and let their kids know that, um, you know, you're capable of anything just like anyone else. In terms of future plans, what can people expect um, from social motion in the future? That's a good question. We are trying to figure out what is the best growth plan. Again, I'm going to come back to um, collaborative partnerships. I really think that is the best way that we're going to be able to seek funding kind of in this new world that is coming after COVID and um, the future landscape of philanthropy is really collaborative based and working on the core competencies of the group. So I think we have um, a big opportunity to embed our program um, with collaborative partners where there's already a nexus of families who need our services and where partnerships can can strengthen the resources for families from both sides. Because I just thought of one more question real quick, because uh -huh. now that you brought it up, how has COVID-19 um, affected y'all? For our classes, we had actually piloted running some classes 
classes virtually for a while. So um, we ended up with a stay-at-home order, I think, on a Friday. And by the following Tuesday, we had all of our classes running virtually. So our kids never had to miss a class. Um, So we had almost 100% attendance um, during most of um, the stay-at-home. Um, I think we ran classes virtually for 11 weeks, I believe. Um, we came back to in-person classes about three weeks ago. Um, and so now we're kind of, we have some families that weren't quite ready to come back in person. So we're kind of doing a hybrid. Um, those that were ready are back in person and those that aren't, we just zoomed them into the class. Um, so in that aspect, we did well. Um, families were very appreciative of the continuation of services. Um, many of our kids were not receiving services through schools or um, speech or any of their other um, typical therapies. So they were very appreciative of that. Um, they were very appreciative of coming back in person <laughs> about three weeks ago. Our young adults especially were really excited to be back. I mean, what do you find that was better, the in-person or the virtual? In-person is always better when it's available. Um, Just the nature of what we do is teaching social skills. And so the in-person will always be the best case scenario, but there is a place for the virtual. And so um, it worked for the time being um, and it served its purpose. So it's interesting. It's actually on our YouTube channel right now. I think it's our young adult group talking about, coming back and you will see them all social distancing, wearing masks. And I think the question was, what did you miss most about not being able to come to your young adult social group? And you'll hear the myriad of answers that you would expect is the interaction and the communication. Um, You know, for our kids, reading emotions and facial expressions, they're all trying to pick up this pick up on this and learn this. And it's one of the things that zoom takes away. So like Brandy said, it was, it was great interim fix. Um, it's absolutely what we had to do to keep our classes and our community together. But, um, we're glad it's hopefully over and we're doing all the right things to keep everybody safe and healthy. But, um, it was, it's what we had to do, but we're glad to be back in person. I'm going to um, toss it over to Dr. Gornett. I didn't mean to take more of your um, time, but those questions just popped in my mind when she mentioned it, so I thought I would ask. <laughs> Great question. Great questions, Josh. He's, he's an awesome host. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, to pick up on um, uh, one of the, I think, great uh, creations that Social Motion has developed. Um, Wendy Dawson came to a conference in February 2018 here in Charleston. The conference was called Power to the Parents. And she did an awesome presentation about social motion skills and the origins of the program. And I think the centerpiece of that presentation was what she calls the life path. And um, it's, if you haven't seen it, it's available on socialmotionskills.org. You can see it there. It's a beautiful graphic. And um, uh, Wendy, can you take us through that graphic and how you came up with it and, and what it means? Thank you. Thank you. I can't believe it was 2018 already. And <laughs> um, so... If you've been with us over this hour, you probably have heard about the expansive programs that we do. Um, We do a lot with a lot of different age levels. And what we found was we needed a way to communicate to parents and to partners and to funders really the scope of what we do and why that is important. 
So again, going back to being a parent, one of the things I needed was a program that would grow and morph and change and continue with my child. And so Dr. Gwinnett, you asked, how did we start? We started with that one class at the between teen age level. And then obviously we had to expand to an earlier age group and an older age group. So the timeline really represents all of the ages and the life path journey that we travel with these families from diagnosis, um, you know, as early as about two to three to four, they're coming to us in Houston because they've gotten this, this message from their diagnostician. And so they now know that their life and their child's life has changed. And so what does that mean? Um, Sometimes they're grieving, sometimes they're angry, sometimes they're just curious. So from the primary level, when we're helping them understand that life is complicated, but walk in the path that we've walked, and we're gonna show you, this is basically what you can expect. In the elementary years, we need to work with the teachers. We need to start building friendships. What does that mean? How does your child act? How do we start getting early intervention in? Um, working to the tween years where that self-esteem is so important so that we can head off anxiety and depression that we know is so often related to these diagnoses. We work very closely with teachers and with therapists. Um, that partnership is very beneficial. Um, we start transition really early, like Brandy said, about 13 years old, getting them into the transition center, understanding what do they like, where are their natural talents, you know, do they like space, do they like geology, do they like art, um, do they like writing, do they like computer activities, because we found that those natural talents are going to help them find like-minded friends find hobbies and the hobbies become the jobs. So how can we support them and what they're already good at so we can celebrate those successes? Um, volunteering is huge. We start building resumes. They have to learn how to take feedback and instruction from others. So you can see as we walk along this timeline, the skills really build upon each other, um, placing them in work so they can have an independent life obviously with the goal at the end being fulfilled independence that they can live as happily um, in the community as possible in an independent life. So exciting. We're going to put the life path graphic on our YouTube video of this podcast. So yes. if you're listening on iTunes or on Spotify and you want to see the um, social emotion skills life path, you can certainly go to their site, but we'll also have it overlaid on our video podcast, which will be up on our YouTube page. So just amazing work um, by Wendy Dawson and Brandy Timmons. Timmons. Before I forget, I want to give you there uh, where you can check them out, socialmotionskills.org. And then, of course, you can also follow them on Facebook. You can also follow them on Instagram. It's social underscore motion. And then on Twitter, it's at social motion underscore. So they're very active on social media. They're a great follow, so um, check them out. Um, and we wanted to thank you guys so much for your time. Um, I've had conversations with you guys offline that um, I'm a believer and, you know, I, I, you know, I believe that you guys are being called to do the tremendous work that you're doing. Um, do you guys feel like faith plays a part in your success? 
We say that every day, don't we, Brandy? (laughs) Every day, every day. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I get def- I'm definitely giving a shout out to God for all the amazing things that he's doing through you guys in Houston, thank throughout you. Texas, and I think throughout the country and hopefully the world. So thank you all for your time. Um, give it up for Josh for doing a great job on the interview. Good job, Josh. Oh, Josh. Yeah, ma'am. You can, again, follow us on the Autism News Network. You can go to theautismnewsnetwork.com. And we are, of course, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We look forward to having you join us on our next podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.